welcome to Book Squad Goals, your favorite podcast. <laughs> we are back after two weeks because we always take. You don't two even weeks. sound like you think it's your favorite podcast. <laughs> it's my fa- it's my favorite podcast. Welcome <laughs> to your favorite podcast. Welcome to your favorite podcast. If you didn't know it was your favorite podcast, now you know. And if you don't know, <laughs> now you know. Now you know. Yeah. Uh, so before we get started today, we are talking about some children's books today. So I thought a good way to introduce ourselves would be to talk about our favorite books or what our favorite books were when we were children. Children. uh, (laughs) Children. So we were all children once, right? Never. I was born old. I'm still a child. (laughs) Well, what was your favorite book when you were a a younger child? Uh, Am I going first? (laughs) Yes, you can go first. I mean, Harry Potter was, like, very important to me as a kid. Because I read it for the first time in, like, the second grade, I think. And it was when the first two books had come out. My God, I keep forgetting that you're a baby. Yeah, you're a baby. That book was not out when I was a little child. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They they had – I think the second one had just come out or something. Um, And so I read the first two. uh, And I loved it. But – I also I, – I was a big, like, Road Doll fan, so yeah. I loved James the Giant Peach, um, the book and the movie. The movie was, like – I would come home from school every day and watch it. And the Caterpillar. Did you say your name? Well, oh, I'm sorry. My name is Kelly. Yeah. And he's not a caterpillar. He's a centipede. Oh, Get it straight. Me. Come on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. And also, like, I loved Matilda, and I loved the witches, and, like, all that stuff. So, I don't know. I didn't – I'm not giving a f- an actual answer here, am I? <laughs> I'm, like, giving a bunch of different ones, but, you know. I guess I, I would good. go with Harry Potter just because that was, like, the most lasting book influence on me, I think. Cool. Mary? I, I think that – when I was a child child and I was reading picture books, I loved the Stinky Cheese Man and other fairly <laughs> stupid stories the most. I kept a copy of the library book for like six months and got in trouble. And um, it's just like really weird meta humor. And I wasn't allowed to read a bunch of stuff when I was a kid because, I mean, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I had a very conservative upbringing. And so, like, finding this weird humor was very influential. Also, though, like, as an older child, Harry Potter, because I, too, was, like, around the same age as Harry when the first book came out. And so... It was a big, it was a super big deal. And I also was able to, like, sneak it past my parents. And years later, when the (laughs) movies came out, they were like, you're not allowed to see these movies because they're about witchcraft. And I was like, joke's on you, parents. I've already read the books. (laughs) You've already been indoctrinated. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That was Mary, everyone. Awesome. Susan. (laughs) Hi, I'm Susan. I, as you know, didn't read Harry Potter as a kid. I somehow missed missed the boat for like 20 years. Um, but I did read this other series of books, Sweet Valley Junior High. Yeah. <laughs> not, not Sweet Valley High, the ones Junior that most people are familiar with. There was a second series um, of their middle school years. And I was in middle school and I thought it was just like the best. And I read all of them. 
And I don't know a single other person who read them. So I, I read them. Too. Did you? Yes. Well, I didn't know you then. <laughs> but back then, I was like, oh, I want to talk to people about these books, but no one. That's kind of like what my whole life has been like. It's just like, But now we're anyone? here for you and we can no? talk about. Yeah, no, I found my people and it's okay. But uh, yeah, I was super into that. Like, I, I was like, I'm Elizabeth Wakefield for sure. I have she no had more diverse friends, is. and she was like smarter. She was the smarter twin. Oh, yeah, basically. Oh, the Sweet Valley yeah. twins. Now I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like basic bitch lit for middle schoolers. <laughs> so I mean, I would. I, I read something comparable, which was like the Mary Kate and Ashley series that they came out with, which was just them being mm-hmm. Mary Kate and Ashley. Were they mystery solving? There them? were different ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, I kind of read something similar because uh, I was really into the Babysitters Club. Mm. This is Emily. That was by my the other way. thing. I was going to say I was I like the Babysitters yeah. Club too. Um, actually, here's a little preview for what's going to happen when I finally graduate. Um, my first big project for the blog is going to be a reread of the Babysitters Club books. Oh my yes, God. all of Not them. All of them. I'm going okay. to say you crazy. I'm going to pick some. <laughs> to reread uh but yeah i I identified with christy really hardcore uh and yeah i love the babysitter's club i wanted to have a babysitter's club but i always identified with claudia Mm, i can see that do you emily have you listened to the babysitter's club club Mm -mm. it is a podcast about a group of people rereading the babysitter's club oh awesome maybe i'll read along with them but really my favorite book as a kid was the secret garden oh i was classic i was obsessed obsessed i had every single version of the movie i loved it i read it all the time i had multiple versions of the book for some reason colin was my favorite character (laughs) god colin's such a little asshole yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. You didn't like Dickon? Nah. He, Dickon is, like, too perfect. <laughs> I like, never liked Dickon either because I was like, he's just like a Disney princess. He comes in and he's like, oh, yes. look at the animals. He can talk to animals. And everyone's he like, everyone's everything. falling over themselves. Oh, Dickon. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it, Dickon. <laughs> You can't introduce someone with that name to your parents or to yeah. everyone else. That's true. <laughs> Hi, Mom and Dad. This is my friend, Dickin. <laughs> and we've been Dickin. Oh, no. They're children, Susan. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't read it. They're we children. <laughs> we children? We. I thought they were like 15 or no, something. They're no. Like, they're like oh, 10. Dickin. I haven't read it, but in the movie, they look a little bit older than Speaking that. Speaking of so. JK. We're gonna we're gonna smooth Emily. I'm deleting that. (laughs) No, please don't. Please don't delete it. No, it was perfect. We're gonna talk about J.K. Rowling now. Um, Harry Potter. Um, We are so excited because Susan, as you may or may not know, well, you do know because this is your favorite podcast. Um, Susan is uh, reading Harry Potter for the first time. So she's about to get sorted into her Hogwarts house. But I thought, you know, to amp up the drama before we do this sorting ceremony on the show. Um, we should, live. Live on the show. A week ago. Uh, we should <laughs> talk about our feelings about the four houses, um, where where we belong and... Which I have house many is feelings. the worst? <laughs> Gryffindor. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So you have You're lots marrying of a Gryffindor. I'm marrying a Gryffindor. Um, who, who wants to start us off? Um, about the houses? I'll start off just by saying that I have this eternal conflict, which I think many people do, where for like my whole life growing up, I thought I was Ravenclaw because I was like, really? Just like the fact of being into Harry Potter is like, yeah. you, I feel like, because everyone wanted to identify with Harry and be like, I'm Gryffindor, but also like you're a reader, you love reading, mm-hmm. and therefore you're like, I'm the nerdy one, I want to be a Ravenclaw. So mm-hmm. that was like how I felt for my whole life. And then eventually when Pottermore finally came out and I like took the quiz and I got Hufflepuff, I was like, this is bullshit. And to be honest, it kind of is. Like, I don't know how this quiz actually uh, works. It's very vague and bizarre. No, it's official. It's real. It's official and real. Um, Oh, God, I'm scared. Which Emily feels because she got Ravenclaw when she took the quiz. Well, because I I am Ravenclaw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, it's obviously the best house sorry so I got Hufflepuff and I was like who am I I had like an existential crisis uh, for like several days and then finally I like thought about it more and I was like actually you know what that makes sense because like I love learning and reading and all that stuff but I also am probably I'm like very moralistic I think to an annoying point sometimes and I don't know I feel like that's more important to me like like what people are like than like how intelligent they are or something so I just like thought about that more and I also thought about how much I hated school while I was in school and then I was like okay yeah I'm probably not a Ravenclaw because I was good at school but I hated it Mary, why don't you talk about your your stuff? Okay, well, I'm the outlier here. Mary's the villain of the podcast. I (laughs) have always, every time I've taken a Harry Potter quiz, I always get Slytherin. Every time. Every time. Including Pottermore. (laughs) That's not an outlier. We're all in different houses. I know, but everyone always says Slytherins are evil. No, I think those are well, people less people are, are willing to admit that. No, they're I mean they're just backstabbers. <laughs> what? Oh no. shit! Susan's got some feelings already. <laughs> no. Okay, here's the thing: Slytherins are basically like Gryffindors, except they don't work well in groups, <laughs> and sometimes they have questionable morals. So they're like Gryffindors, but worse, is what you're saying? No, no. Like, I think a Slytherin would be more willing to entertain a morally dubious solution to a problem. Yeah. I'm digging the hole here. Well, Slytherins are like... I'm not an evil person. (laughs) It's not evil. It's just like getting to the next step of whatever it is that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And if it's important to you... Slytherins are cunning. Yeah. And ambitious, and they don't work well with other people. Which, like, I work well with other people sometimes. Like, I feel like on the podcast, I work well with other people. That's what you think. But I'm thinking about in group work, in school, I was always like, nope, I'm doing everything. Sorry, guys. I don't trust any of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I feel split between Ravenclaw and Slytherin, but I am a true Slytherin. 
That's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I, I commend you for coming out and saying <laughs> for, for coming out as a Slytherin. Yeah. I, I have a lot of Slytherin friends, you know. <laughs> I have several Slytherins. I, you know, I'm not prejudiced against Slytherins. My best friend's a Slytherin. No. <laughs> um, no. And, I, and I was sort of joking about Gryffindors. I just, I think of all the houses I would least, I, I, le- I identify with Gryffindor the least. Yeah, I agree. Um, and for some reason, I'm marrying a Gryffindor. And he is very vocally Gryffindor. He's and Gryffindor, it's annoying. For sure. But you know, all Gryffindors are vocally Gryffindor because, yeah, they're Gryffindor. Gryffindor is, is basically like they are. annoying, like like sports people at whatever college who are like Go Gators or whatever. That's Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> I just when I think of Ben, I honestly do think Gryffindor because of the quickness to stand up for someone he has that's true like ben gets very uh angry on the behalf of people he's close yeah. to. uh-oh i do that too okay so susan susan could be griffin i have a question yeah i, I i'm yes. kind of thinking that I'm kind of rooting for you to be Gryffindor just so that every house is represented on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously <laughs> okay. I'm also rooting for you to be Ravenclaw because like Ravenclaw is the best. But what what do you want to be sorted into? Well, wh- okay. After I read the first book, I did take a different quiz. Like it wasn't this like official one, but I took a quiz and I got Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been thinking that I tend that way. But – I'm open <laughs> to, you know, I feel like I'm going through sorority rush <laughs> yeah. right now because there were four, there were four oh houses. My God. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, I mean, I like both of those. Like, it's fine. I don't, they, they seem the same. <laughs> so just put me in one. Is there any house that fine, you're like, please just not that one? I don't think I'm very helpful, Puffy. Mm. So... Oh, uh, Kelly's don't. pouting. <laughs> oh, that's okay, because there's nothing wrong with it. One of my very best friends is a Hufflepuff, and I'm not just saying that. <laughs> she really I, is. I but, like, when she said that, I was like, of course you are. Like, it makes so much sense for her. And But she is very different yeah. than I am. Well, Hufflepuffs are, like, the... Like, I feel possibly even more than Slytherin, the most, like... You don't mm-hmm. want to be in that one house because mm-hmm. I don't know why. Well, because there's nothing special about it. Like there's not really a tr- a trait associated with it like the other ones because it's like the little rhyme is like literally like Hufflepuff takes all the rest. <laughs> like that's how it goes. Like <laughs> yeah, but I mean Hufflepuffs are outgoing and kind and like warm. Yeah, and like I mean I think that. That a lot of different kinds of people can be put into Hufflepuff because, like, mm-hmm. if if you have, like, a lot of different traits and not one of them necessarily stands out as, like, this, like, defining trait where, like, Ravenclaw is, like, like knowledge and intelligence and, like, that is, like, something that really defines you. But if you are – you can still be intelligent and not – but there's, like, other st- – like right. so, so much other stuff that it's like that's not like enough for me to be put in Ravenclaw. But I mean, like right. Ravenclaw has other things going on too. I don't want to. I like it's not just about intelligence. Yeah, I think it's it's not just for snobs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that the Pottermore 
site talks about a lot is like Ravenclaws usually have a certain like quirkiness about them and they don't really care um, how other people take that. I mean, I think Luna Lovegood's a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like there are different kinds of Ravenclaws because like Cho Chang and Luna are like two very different characters. But I think um, uh, uniqueness is something that Ravenclaw's value as well Mm -hmm. Um, and not really giving a shit about what other people think of them and like kind of being introverted. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So should we start? Yeah. Let's do this, Susan. I have no idea what's about to happen. So just kind of like talk through what you're seeing on the screen as you go. Okay. I'm clicking be sorted. Ah. (laughs) Whoa. Sorry, I just didn't know which side to click. There's like on one side, there's like the sorting hat, read the story, and then there's the sorting ceremony, begin the experience. I'm assuming that's what I need to do. You know the story, you read it. Yeah. Okay, forest or river? Hmm. See, that's the vague. Yeah, this is the kind of questions you're going to be answering. So there's no way to like trick it into being like. Okay, it's forest though. Just go with your gut yeah. reactions. Yeah. If you were attending Hogwarts, which pet would you choose to take with you? Options are Tabby Cat, Siamese Cat, Ginger Cat, Black Cat, White Cat, <laughs> Tawny Owl, what? Screech Owl, Brown Owl, Snowy Owl, Barn Owl, Jesus. Common Toad, Natterjack Toad. I did not get this question. <laughs> Dragon Toad. Harlequin, Harlequin Toad, and Three Toad Tree Toad. <laughs> three Toad, Three, three toad, toad, like Tree Tree Toad, Three Toad Tree Toad. Okay, I want a cat though. I think yeah. so, and I want oh, the white one. Good choice. Give me that white. I'm gonna scroll back up for an hour and find that <laughs> one. What about Mabel? Could you not take Mabel? No, dog wasn't an option. Yeah. Oh, you mean because Mabel's a cat? <laughs> um, she would suck at magic, though. I think <laughs> she would She's be like, squib. "I don't like these I mean, I'm ninety eight percent sure she can see ghosts, but I don't know if paranormal stuff and magic like I think go together. All cats so can see ghosts. I'm gonna go with mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with white cat. Okay. What's next? A muggle confronts you and says that they are sure you are a witch or wizard. What do you do? Do you ask them what makes them think so? Agree and ask whether they'd like a free sample of a jinx. <laughs> Agree and walk away, leaving them to wonder whether you are bluffing. Tell them that you are worried about their mental health and offer to call a doctor. <laughs> well, that's just Ooh. rude. Um, I'm going to walk away and leave them wondering. Yeah. Select. These questions are so much less vague than the ones I got. Mine were literally like, Pick dark or light, river or forest, <laughs> ocean. Or like you're walking down a path and it goes three ways. Yeah, it was like, Which these are way did? more well, I'm you, jealous. I, don't know. I got some of these questions, but go ahead. I did not. If you could have any power, which would you choose? The power to read minds, the power of invisibility, the power of superhuman strength, the power to speak to animals, oh, <laughs> the power to change the past. That sounds dangerous. The power to change your appearance at will. Oh, man. 
I mean, talking to animals is not a very useful power, but it seems it's the best fun. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I did get that question. I'm pretty sure I chose talk to animals. I think I would go with invisibility, actually. Okay. A troll has gone berserk. <laughs> <laughs> troll in the dungeon. In the head, it's a situational question. A troll has gone berserk in the headmaster's study at Hogwarts. It's about to smash, crush, and tear several irreplaceable items and treasures. In which order would you rescue these objects from the trolls club if you could? Oh, my God. Okay. First, a nearly perfected cure for dragon pox. Then, a student records going back a thousand years. Finally, a mysterious handwritten book full of strange runes. But, like, how bad is Dragonpox? James Potter's parents died from Dragonpox. There you go. And then we've got, first, you would do the records, then the mysterious handwritten book, and then the cure for Dragonpox. First, the strange book, (laughs) then the perfected cure for Dragonpox, then the student records. Who fucking cares about student records? Oh my god, this is just every combination mm-hmm. of those three. Yeah, yeah you like just have to decide and then find the combination. Ugh. Okay. I don't even know what any of these are except for a book of student records, but I feel like that's last. So dragon pox is like an illness that's sort of like comparable to chicken pox, which is like, it seems like maybe if you get it when you're younger, it's okay. But if you get it when you're older, it can be like fatal. Okay, so that seems important. I'll keep that one first. And then this mysterious handwritten book. And then student records, because that's like admin stuff is boring, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, select. (sighs) All right, shorter question. How would you like to be known to history? The wise, the good, the great, the bold. Hmm. Why is the good, the great, the bold? All. All of the above. Ah, I think bold. Okay. Four goblets are placed before you. Which would you choose to drink? Okay. Based on appearance only. The foaming, frothing, silvery liquid that sparkles as though containing ground diamonds. (laughs) That sounds painful, but... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to actually drink ground diamonds. Have ground diamonds scraping my throat. <laughs> this one sounds gross too. The smooth, thick, richly purple drink, purple drink, that gives off a delicious smell of chocolate and plums. Ooh, purple drink. That one sounds good to me. I think that might be the one I chose. I don't like chocolate. The word thick kind of threw me off. Okay. The golden liquid so bright that it hurts the eye and which makes sunspots dance all around the room. Mm. Okay, why yeah. would I want to drink something that is painful to look at? Because if you drink it, you don't have to look at it anymore. It's gone. <laughs> the mysterious black liquid that gleams like ink and gives off fumes that make you see strange visions. All right. That's if you yeah, want to get Yeah, let's get high. fucked up. I'm going to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> Left or right? God, come on. Yeah. Left or right? Here we go. I mean, like We're I'm right-handed, but I do not – but I, you know – I identify with left everything else. I'm going to go left. Okay. Oh, it's done. What'd you get? <laughs> Do you want to guess? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Gryffindor. I knew it. Oh, I my knew God. It. Yay. Yay. It's official. I knew it. We are a fully representative podcast. <laughs> this is so exciting. 
That's amazing. I'm so happy. And Emily did just say she thinks Gryffindors are the worst. No, I'm so. married no. Gryffindor. Okay. I'm going to now read more about my house. Yeah. You're like oh, no, a not, you're like a Hermione it. Gryffindor. Yeah, you totally mm-hmm. are. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. Because no. Hermione is like Hermione's the best. Could be a Ravenclaw, but she's a Gryffindor because she's bold. That's where I had really, now I wonder if I just had picked wise instead of bold. No, you can't do that. Which I was leaning toward. But because this says brave, courageous, chivalrous, daring, and bold. And I would say of those things, I'm one of them. I think also the <laughs> um, the question about what you would say to a person if they uh, asked you if you were a witch or wizard or said mm-hmm. that they knew you were a witch or wizard, I think the Ravenclaw one would have been to be like, why do you think that? And mm-hmm. to walk away and like leave them wondering would be Gryffindor, mm-hmm. I think. I'm pretty sure for that one, I said ask them if they wanted Jinx. Which is Slytherin. Happy. <laughs> I'm very happy with this. I mean, I know that I am too. You're, you're a little confused right now, it seems like. Um, no, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's just that I took that other. Also, when I took the other one, I, don't, I, I said it was after I read the book. I think it was actually before I read it. So I didn't really even like know yeah. that much about any right. of the houses, except for what I got on that quiz. Yeah. Um. So well, I, and that's the thing is that I'm I happy think, to be official. I think this Pottermore quiz tries to get at things that are less like self analytical and more just like gut mm-hmm. instinct type of things. Because I'm sure yeah. they reasoned out why if you choose left or right, like which one would put you in which direction, yeah. like things that you because mm-hmm. like the way that you think about yourself is sometimes not exactly like who you might actually be, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, I t- every quiz I ever took up until Pottermore, I got Ravenclaw. But I also knew, like, what, what Ravenclaw was. Yeah. And I knew, like, what I wanted to be. And even though I was thinking to mm-hmm. myself, like, I'm not doing this to try to get in anything, I think that's probably what happened. So, w- I mean, I think we're kind of running low on time. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about Orphan Island really quick. Yay! Yay! That's okay. Well, wait, should we just get Susan to say really quickly, like, what her thoughts were about the first book or, like, how she's her experience just for, like, a minute or two? Sure. Oh, I did not prepare any remarks. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, you wrote a blog about it, so obviously a lot of your feelings are (laughs) in the blog. But for people who haven't read that post, just, like, tell us a little bit about your experience reading the book. For the first time. Well, I got super into it, like, in 10 pages. So I was, like, I was there. I was <laughs> in. And I I got a little bummed out, like, retroactively about not having read it at the age that it really would have, like, meant so much to me. Um, but it's okay. I'm rectifying that situation now. And we're all still children at heart, so it's okay. Yes. <laughs> I know, but I just was like, it, it like it came out at a really specific time for me that would have, like, it would have been perfect. But yeah. I just somehow missed it, and um, that's sad. But <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. I have a house now. You have a house. You don't sound happy about it. Ben is gonna be. <laughs> and so I have started excited. reading the Chamber of Secrets, so I'm moving on through. Yay! 
So yeah, we're gonna we should just do when you have finished, we should just do like a whole episode about Harry Potter. Yeah, when like you've read all of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll probably be crazy. It'll be like a seven hour episode. Um, we're I discussing each book. It. Yeah. Uh, I love Harry I used Potter. to listen to this podcast called Mugglecast, and they yes. did this thing called Chapter by Chapter. There was a segment on their show, and they literally went through every chapter of the entire series. That's and so cool. every episode, they would talk about a chapter, and it was so great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we will, of course, be talking about Harry Potter a lot more on this podcast, just maybe like even checking in with Susan as she's reading the other books, because we all really love Harry Potter a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, I'm, and now we're all represented. Yes. I just love, I think that's so cute. That's pretty I cool. love it. Um, <laughs> so the second half of this episode is going to be um, an interview with author Laurel Snyder about her new book, Orphan Island. Um, And just to give my really quick review of the book before we get into the interview, guys, I really loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I gave it five stars on Goodreads. Um, (gasps) I know. The coveted five stars. I, um, I think, you know, and I've, I read other people's reviews on Goodreads of the book. um, And I I will give a little plot synopsis in a second, but I kind of want to talk about what I felt about it first. Um, I think some of the negative reviews I read about the book seemed really disappointed that it left a lot of questions unanswered and, you know, like they wanted to get down to like the mystery of the Island. And I think if that was your focus, you kind of missed the point of the book. Welcome um, to literature. Right. <laughs> like you don't always get everything you want. Um, the best books give you, leave you wanting a little bit exactly, of something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I I was pretty satisfied with where it ended. And I don't I don't feel like knowing all of the answers would have made the book better. I think it would have like kind of like closed off my imagination a little bit. So I, I was happy right. with how it all ended. So basically the the synopsis or not the synopsis, but the premise of the book is that there are these nine kids on an island and they're about a year apart in age. Um, And every year um, the oldest one leaves the Island and a new young child comes on a boat and they like sort of like swap places. So nobody knows where the eldest child goes. Nobody knows where the youngest child comes from, but there are always nine on the Island. Um, And the oldest child Who's, who's on the, like, whoever's the oldest child on the island is, like, the elder. Um, and they spend a year taking care of the youngest child who's called the care. Um, and sort of, like, acclimating the youngest child to the island. And also teaching the second oldest child, like, elder lessons so that they know how to be the elder next year when they're the oldest person on the island. So they have this very, like... Um, intricate system of like how to make things work on the island and how to care for each other, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, So it was really fun to read. The story is told from the perspective of Jenny, who is the elder on the island. And so it's like kind of like her year as the elder. Um, And that's all I'm going to say, because I think you guys should read it. And um, yeah, I want to read it. Yeah, I do too. So, um, listen to this interview. It's totally spoiler free. So if you haven't read the book, you can keep on listening. 
Um, and after the interview, we'll give you a little bit of information on how you can enter to win a copy of this book, a signed copy of this book. Um, so here's the interview. Stay tuned afterwards. I am here with Laurel Snyder, author of a bunch of books, but most recently, Orphan Island. So first of all, uh, we are mostly a podcast about books, but secondly, we are a podcast about our pets. So um, because pets are often a part of our reading process, you know, pets are great reading companions. That's certainly true. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about your pets? So I have two pets. Um one of them is a very, very old cat named Hassel was her given, like her, na- her name that we put on her vet records is Hassel, but she has almost always been called Kittenhead. <laughs> and she is a sort of tabby brownish thing that um, has been with us now for 16 years. That's pretty good. And she's very cranky um, and getting on in years. And then we have a new kitten that we got this fall because the world was just too much for me and it seemed like I needed a new fuzzy thing in my life. So I got a new cat and the cat when we went to pick it out um, was named Eddie and it sort of picked us as they do and then we realized that Eddie was a girl and uh, as the story goes I said to Lewis, well we can we can rename her, we can call her Edwina, my son Lewis, so we can call her Edwina or something and he said mom. Girls can be anything they want, even right. Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have a cat named Eddie. The, her name, full name is Eddie the Smacker. That's and Eddie the Smacker is a girl. <laughs> and she's a calico, and she's very much a calico. Well, that's my, one of my cats is named Josie, and we named him that when we first got him because they told us he was a girl. Right. And at that point, I was like, well, you know, no, it's, he's Josie. it's yeah. Josie. It could be short for Joseph. Or maybe, you know, boys can be whatever they want to exactly, be. Exactly. That's right. Josie. Including Josie. Yeah. So um, we're also talking about Harry Potter on this podcast. So um, at this point, we will know the big question, which house is Susan in? Um, which house are you in? Well, I... I always assumed, and so I always assumed I was Gryffindor. Okay. Um, and then I did one of those stupid sorting things on Facebook or whatever, and it sorted me as Gryffindor Ravenclaw, like half and half. So I don't know. I feel like Griffin. I feel like Ravenclaw. I feel like I'm a little just too like loud and messy for Ravenclaw, but I guess that's the Gryffindor part of me. Yeah. So and then I just recently, I'll add to this that Lewis, who I also was just talking about with Eddie. Recently said something. We were, I, was, I said something about the Gryffindor thing, and I said I feel like everybody kind of thinks they're Gryffindor, like at first, at least. Really, because I think um, I'm, you know, I'm in academia, so I feel like I'm a, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who think they're Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah. See, so that makes sense. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I, I just I I don't know. I feel like I feel like I want as a reader, I want to relate to the main character. I think mm-hmm. I want to relate to Harry. So anyway, I said something to Lewis about everybody thinks they're Gryffindor, and Lewis looked at me and he said. Really? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I think I might be Slytherin. And I was like, oh my God, you are Slytherin. Like, my son is Slytherin. So, 
That's that's our household. So he came out to you as a Slytherin? Pretty much, yeah. That's where wow. we are. That's and I said to him, of course, I was like, well, you know, Harry had a lot of Slytherin. He could have gone Slytherin, too. Yeah. You can choose who you want to be. And Lewis is like, okay, Mom, whatever. <laughs> that's, what I, that's one of the things I worry about with having kids is, like, what if they don't like Harry Potter? What will I do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, at this point, <laughs> I mean, I, I do feel like I have had a heavy hand. In, in those sorts of things. And sometimes they don't like what you like. Like, Lewis doesn't like yeah. spicy food. Moses is really into sports, which I'm not. Like, they, they, they get into things that you're not into. But I feel like if you really, really passionately love something, there's usually some love for that thing in the child. Yeah, that's true. Like, my kids love Springsteen. And they don't. Like, it doesn't make sense with the music that they... Oh, here, they're sitting there. Hey, Katie. It doesn't make sense that they love Springsteen. None of the other music they love is Springsteen. But I love Springsteen, so they love Springsteen, too. That's adorable. <laughs> They're like the geekiest children ever in the history of the world. And you're so proud of that. I am. <laughs> um, okay, so you probably get asked this all the time, but I have to ask, um, because Orphan Island, I found to be a very unique story. The premise of it was very interesting to me before I even picked it up. Where did the idea come from? So um, this was, I feel like there's two stages, three stages really, to that question which I do get asked a lot, but, um, but it's interesting to me. The first piece is that I had hit a point in my career where I had really had a difficult editorial, not, not editorial experience, that's not right. My editor's love. My editor was lovely, but the book prior to Orphan Island, which is a difficult book to finish, to revise, and um, sort of strenuous, and I ended up feeling like I had lost it somewhere, like I had lost track of what my original intent was. And I couldn't remember what it felt like anymore to write totally by myself, to, to write without other, you know, critique groups and editors and beta readers and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, I don't, I want to go back to, um, I want to go back to writing just for me. And specifically, one of my illustrators called it out. She said, there's a difference between like, like writing to produce and like writing something out. Like that feeling that you had when you were a kid, when you first figured out how to dance or write or play baseball or whatever it is that made you feel like you were sort of letting things out. And I thought, I wonder if I can still find that feeling, basically. Like, what is it? Do I, am I still a writer if I don't have a contract, if I don't owe somebody a book? Um, the way that I have been since I was eight years old, a writer. And so I wanted to write a book just for me. And that was, I thought, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write it in a whole. Like, I'm not going to show anybody. I'm not going to show my agent. I'm not going to let anybody read anything. I'm just going to write it for myself. And if it doesn't get published, it doesn't get published. But I have to, if I can't be that person anymore, then I don't want to do this. This, like, that's why I'm doing it. That, that should be why I'm doing this. So that was the first thing was I didn't put any limits on myself in terms of thinking about the reader or the market or expectation or whether it fit well with my other titles or anything like that. Um, so that was the first thing. But the other things that happened were that in succession, I read two books to my kids, who I keep talking about for some reason. Um, and the first was The Little Prince, and the second one was My Side of the Mountain. And I don't know why. I mean, it would have been a different book if I had read two different books to my children that year. But I, we read The Little Prince, and they were sort of baffled by it. And we're like, I mean, it's a very different book than most of what kids read today. Yeah. It's deeply philosophical. The end is very bewildering and hard in some ways, depending on how you read it. Um, but it prompted all of these really interesting conversations, and they were thinking and talking about things in a different way. 
And I thought, I want to write a book like that. Like, I want to write a book that when you set it down, you sort of have to keep thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that does this sort of allegorical, philosophical work that I think mostly isn't, it isn't what you set out to do mostly when you write a children's book these days, or it isn't what I set out to do. And then we read My Side of the Mountain, and again, they had this response to it that was so strong that it was sort of like, wow, like kids without parents, like kids taking care of themselves completely, living on their own completely. And if your listeners don't know these books, The Little Prince is pretty commonly known, um, is, is, a, is a French children's book about a sort of space traveler who lands in the middle of a desert and is this odd character. And My Side of the Mountain is a book about a boy who goes off to live in the woods completely by himself and takes care of himself. Um, anyway, so we read My Side of the Mountain, and the boys, my sons, were just blown away by it and the idea that a kid could live alone in the woods. And again, I had that same moment of like, huh, that isn't something you see a lot anymore. Like books about kids who are doing things like making fires or catching fish or like setting traps for birds or whatever making leather jerkins or, you know, anything like that. Um, But that's where the book came from. It was sort of this mixture of knowing that I was going to do this all for myself, just alone, knowing that I wanted it to be a sort of bigger, deeper question sort of book, and knowing that I wanted there to be no adults in it at all, Um, which probably has to do with the way I think about parenting and the world that we live in. And that sort of all got swirled together and turned into the book. And much to my shock, when I showed it to my agent, she said, no, I think we can sell this. Um, so yeah. I got very lucky. But I didn't expect that when I began it. I had no idea what would come of it. The only book I could really think of to compare it to was uh, Lord of the Flies, which I'm sure you've heard a lot. But it's kind of like the opposite of That's Lord right. of the Flies because instead of, you know, there being chaos, everything is very, like, orderly in their rules. And I wondered if, you know, because I was thinking about, like, why, because it makes sense in this world that, you know, everything sort of, like, works. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's, there's a sense of, like, security there. Um, and I wondered if some of that had to do with the fact that, like, all the kids are different ages. I mean, I think... I think this is about outlook, right? Yeah. I, I really love children. Mm-hmm. And what I see and know in children, in my very lucky, privileged corner of the world, is that kids left to their own devices come up with their own rules and structures. Like, yeah. The kids I know, the kids that I spend my time with daily, wouldn't revert to Lord of the Flies. They, they, they want to create order of the world. Um, I think it's something children do really naturally. And... I mean, obviously the book takes it to an extreme, but um, I just think that for me that's, that's there. But the other thing is that because the allegory was that sort of I wanted the island to be childhood, um, I really was sort of trying to make that into a utopian story. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. sort of childhood as the best of childhood. Um, it's really a book about that moment, I really have become interested in writing for the very edge. You know, we in children's publishing, people talk a lot about young adult books, but and they talk less about middle grade books, which is what I write, right. which the category is supposed to be ages 8 to 12. I find this all absurd and clunky and weird that we create these boxes, but um, what tends to happen is that 
we write because people want their kids to read up. They want their kids, to, you know, people want to read their kids reading chapter books sooner. Or they, you know, everybody wants to get to Harry Potter and then they want to get to Hunger Games. Um, so what happens is younger kids read into the middle grade section and then younger and younger kids jump into YA. Um, what that hap- what happens then is we end up with middle grade that tends to gravitate toward the bottom end of the age range, right? Sort of it's precocious seven-year-olds reading books about 11-year-olds. And then we have young adult books that kind of push up. And we end up with this gap in the middle where I feel like we ignore the experiences of real adolescence, the experiences of that sort of 10 to 13-year-old, where you're emotionally sophisticated, but you're still a kid and you're figuring it out and it's a mess. Um, I think that that's such an interesting age. Um, And really, it feels like when you're that age that like nobody else really relates to that experience. You feel like you were the first person who yeah. ever had the feelings you're having. Exactly. You're the first person whose body has ever done the things your body is doing. You're the first person who ever suddenly irrationally hated your parents or resented your siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you're smarter than you know, like suddenly you realize you're smart and your brain can do things and you're like sort of like, Oh, you know, like there's all of these different, you're angry, you physical aggression, so many different things go on, or you dwell, you mull, um, in ways that you just didn't do a few years earlier. It's different. Right. Um, this, you're kind of answering a question that I wrote down, but I want to read it anyway, because it's a quote from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he um, is a professor who specializes in middle grade education, um, middle grade readers, so he reads a lot of yeah, middle grade literature. And so, of course, like when I knew I was coming to interview you, I said, like, what would you want to say to a middle grade author? Um, and he said, you know, pretty much what you just said that I'm just going to read his quote because he said it better than I could. Um, one of the things I'm always curious about is the monolithic sense of middle graders as sacks of raging hormones. Um, I'm so interested in reconciling the overgeneralization with the real challenges faced by early adolescents. Um, so, I mean, without trash talking any books or anything like that, do you feel like a lot of books then get that adolescent, adolescent experience wrong or oversimplify it? I think there's a thing that has begun to happen. I think simplification happens a lot. I mean, obviously, like no book can ever capture the emotions we feel as human beings. Like that's just right right there for like Wallace Stegner is probably my all time favorite author for like emotional journey and like self self-awareness um and he doesn't get it even close like nobody does it's complicated to be a person um it's really complicated to be a person who's discovering what it means to be a person and becoming sort of self-aware in that way um most middle grade books talk about an experience i actually think you see more I think more is done with this in some ways in fantasy writing because when the subject isn't the nature of being a 12-year-old kid or whatever or being in classrooms with, you know, um, I think you can be a little wilder. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes fantasy does more of that rigorous work. Um, but I, I, think that, I think that one thing that happens is that we as adults, we want to simplify the experience of childhood. Like we want to be able to boil it down and we want to be able to give our children lessons and lectures. And even when we say we don't, we want to be able to teach our children things so that they don't make the mistakes that we made and they don't feel the pain that we met, we felt. 
and they don't stumble sort of blindly forward. Um, and so we, we, we sort of neaten, neaten up the experience, and I think we sometimes do this strange thing where for the purpose of teaching the message, whatever it is, we, we create almost a fantasy experience of contemporary realistic childhood. Mm -hmm. So the story is all, to highlight a point, right? So the story we're telling is all about not being a bully, you know, yeah. which means that everything we're going to read in that book is going to be seen through the lens of bully versus victim, which is just not the way the world works. It is how it sometimes feels for a moment here or there, but then other things happen in your day, you know, and other things are going on inside of you. And, um, and that, I mean, I, 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 I do worry sometimes that the desire to be able to encapsulate a book and describe it quickly, say, this is a book about, you know. Yeah. And that's something I talk about in writing classes all the time. It's like, you should be able to say, this is a book about that's right. playing. Yeah, as though we all need to have an elevator pitch. But yeah, my very favorite books are books that you could make an elevator pitch, but they'd be completely inadequate. Right, you'd to the be book missing you're describing. Out. Yeah, you can't do that with a poem. Right, right. Like, so, so the idea that everything needs a marketing pitch. It's fine that we create an inadequate marketing pitch for a book. The idea of trying to reverse engineer a book into a marketing pitch mm -hmm. that feels really problematic to me, and I think sometimes. And I'm sure it happens in all genres, but I feel like I feel like sometimes, particularly in contemporary middle grade, when we're when we're beating on these sort of emotional lessons, we hit it so hard that everything else kind of falls into the background and gets lost. So let's talk more about books. Yeah, I like um, books. So books play an important role in the story. That's right. Um, the kids are taught that the three most important things they have to learn to do is swim, cook, and read. Basically. So reading is like a survival skill for them. And you do reference like actual books throughout. Yeah. Um, why did you pick the books you picked? So that's an interesting question. Well, I should say that that device of the three things, every elder needs to teach their care three things. And these are the three things, basically to feed yourself, to swim, to stay afloat, and to read. Um, and these actually come from Jewish tradition. Okay. These are like a Talmudic requirement for Jewish parents, that these are things you're supposed to teach your child, um, which I have just always found fascinating, especially in thinking about how much that literacy gets entrenched in Jewish culture and sort of our sense of ourselves as, as a community or a people um, and how it relates to the way we teach in general. And sort of there's like an academic aspect to Judaism that I think just goes along with that. Um, that I think selfishly makes the world a more meaningful, better place for me. And because I own the world of my book, I can create a world in which that just is true. Um, there are pieces to that. This is, this is where it gets tricky. I have made a point of not telling anybody the information that is not in the book. Mm -hmm. And my editor and I decided that I wouldn't answer questions that relate to that. So I can't explain this, but I will say that the presence of the books is important and related to the reason why they are on the island in the first place. It's not direct. It's yeah. not like they're saving the books or something. But the world that they have left, there's a reason that they brought the books with them um, that may or may not be something you find out about in a companion that I may or may not be writing. Oh, okay. That was um, another question <laughs> I had. Um, <laughs> the reason that the specific books are there is is 
Uh, it was sort of organic. It was like I would sort of, I knew that I wanted, there were these books in the book room that were brought to the island at some point earlier on, which in some sense, it doesn't date where we are in time, but it, it suggests, it suggests that we can't be back too far. I didn't want in, um, in creating this island that was essentially off the grid, I didn't want to create a rustic past world. Um, I wanted it to be a world that exists in, if not now or in the very recent past, then in the future. Um, it, it's important to me that that be present. Um, so that was one way of marking that. Uh, the specific books themselves came about because there were other thematic themes happening in the story that I wanted to kind of contrast mm -hmm. or so sort of thing by thing. And it was funny, somebody asked me about there's a book, and, and, and most of the, I don't think any of the books are titled, right? They're all right. descriptions of books. Part of that was wanting to leave those Easter eggs for kids. Like, these are mostly older books. Harry Potter is in there. But for the most part, they're older books. And I, I like the idea of kids trying to figure out what book we might be talking about. And one of the books in the book room is Little House on the Prairie. Mm -hmm. Or One Must Assume or Can Assume. Um, which is a problematic book. It's a book people take issue with now. And I think rightfully so, though, of course, historical context, la, la, la. Um, but uh, somebody asked me, you know, are you worried that you'll get backlash about having Little House on the Prairie in the book? And I was like, no, it's not. Like, it, these books were not chosen because I am advocating for them. These books were chosen because they are books that made up the sort of atmosphere of my childhood and... I learned different things from them or disliked them in certain ways or whatever. Ginny is so much me. I wanted her world to have these stories in them too, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I also hate The Giving Tree, which is another book that is in that room. So it's not, it, these are not books that I add. These are not like the holiest books that everyone must love. These are like any library, some books on a shelf that different kids, you know, this is an island with many, many children who have lived on it. Some of them are going to like one book and not like another. That's bound to happen. It's not advocacy for those titles. So you've, you've talked about your kids a little bit. Um, when you write, do you think about writing stories for them? Or are you thinking about some sort of like imagined audience or like... I know That's for funny. The, I, oh, I was just going to say, I know for this book, you kind of said you were trying not to think about yeah, that. Yeah, no, they general, definitely weren't in my head for this one. Yeah. Mostly I write for myself at a different point in my life, right? So, um, you know, my eight-year-old self, my six-year-old self, my 14-year-old self. Like, I think that myself as a child is my primary reader. Um, there are exceptions to that. The most obvious one being I have a book that's coming out this fall called The King of Too Many Things. That's a picture book with Rodale um, that came about because Mose specifically asked me, he said, there are books that have robots and books that have dragons and books that have superheroes. Why aren't there any books that have robots and dragons and superheroes? Like at a point when <laughs> those were the things he was into. Right. Like, what idiot? Like, I like fudge. I like ice cream. I like whipped cream. That's how you get a Sunday. Like, yeah. Um, and so it was sort of this task to myself. Like, can I make the book that most wants this book to be? So sometimes there is a specific reader audience. Uh, but mostly, no. The, the truth is that my children haven't really read my books very much. There's a weird... They, I mean, they, they're very aware of the picture books because they've gone to a million story times. Mm -hmm. Um they both are big graphic novel fans. They both are big into history and nonfiction. 
they're both are big into more sort of high fantasy D and D kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, it was, it's always been really important to me that I'm not trying to push right. my vibe at them. That so, I want them to love reading, and I don't really care what that is. And if I really kept hitting them over the head with, you know, the 13 Clocks and Dicey Song, maybe they would not be readers. So I was going to ask you if there was going to be a sequel to Orphan Island, but it sounds like maybe kind of. The answer is that I can't write a sequel, and there are two reasons I can't write a sequel. And the first is that it would be a YA novel. Mm-hmm. That when, when Ginny... I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but, like, when Ginny... Ginny's next chapter is a different chapter. Right. By the by the end of the book, I mean, she, she, she grows up. She's right on the yeah. edge of middle grade, yeah. and, and that is not where I want to go mm-hmm. with that book. It would just be a totally different kind of book. Um, so in some ways, it would, be, it would be a sequel, but it's like a sequel that jumps into a totally different age bracket category kind of thing. Um, more than that, formally for me, it would just be different. It would just be very different. Um, but the other thing that is more more important, I think, is that the whole, as I said, like the whole thing was that I wanted to write this book that left that left kids thinking about the world in a different way. Yeah. And there's a reason that we do that with a book like Little Prince. There's a reason that we do that with The Giver. There's like the, the, the sort of, and what I realized at some point in the process, originally there was an epilogue. There was there was something that sort of tied a a loose bow, and. I think at some point I just realized that, like, the reason you keep thinking about something is because it was a question, right? Mm-hmm. A question mark begs further ponderance in a way that a period does not. And that, that, that for me to write a sequel, for me to really continue Ginny's story, is to close the door on the question mark. And I would rather have people read this one book and really be doing that thinking and work. And I, I cannot count the people who have emailed me or tweeted at me or whatever and said, basically, I don't like the book. I, like the end, I find the end unsatisfying. And then come back to me like two weeks later and been like, I have to change my mind about this because I can't stop thinking about it. Right. Um, people have gone in and like, written, like given me a one-star review in Goodreads and then come back and changed it because they're like, I changed my mind. That to me is much more satisfying than sort of a pleasing bow. What I am thinking about writing, simply because I created this world and I love it and I don't want to leave it, um, what I am thinking about doing is writing, uh, or I am doing, I am scribbling, I am starting, uh, have started, uh, is a companion novel that would be a prequel that goes back to the kind of origin of the island and, and the first group of kids that live there and why. That would, that would really be Abby's story. Um, Abigail, who is who is a sort of ghost on the island, essentially, a character in, in memory. Right, we, we know that the books are hers. Yes. Yeah. The, the books in the book room belong to Abby. There is a reason why Abby brought them, um, and, and Abby knows things that none of the children in Orphan Island know. Right. And would be able to, in some ways, I think, satisfy the readers who would like a little more explanation without, without closing Ginny's story if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Ginny's emotional arc is still a question mark and has to remain so. But that doesn't mean that I can't give a little more information. But part of why I haven't wanted to answer people's questions is I don't want to limit my ability to re-sculpt and change the way I understand the origin of the island until I have actually written that book so that it makes sense. 
Right. And also I find when I talk about something that I'm going to write and I haven't written it yet, I like kill it. Yeah, that can happen. That's true. Um, yeah. Though it has been frustrating because I've so intentionally left so many things ambiguous in the situations where I've I've sort of caught wind of somebody saying like that they think it's sloppy world building that like I didn't and and I like want to get out all of my notes and pictures that I painted and graphs that I made and lists of other children who've lived on the island I have names for every kid that's ever inhabited this island and I want to shake those papers and those people's faces and be like it wasn't sloppy world building it's totally intentional and it totally holds water so <laughs> that's the defensive thing we don't get to do that yeah. I just got workshops this last week, so I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Being a writer is hard. It is, but other things are hard, too. Yeah, everything's hard. Moral of every story. Um, I guess this is free time now. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about that you want listeners to know or just want to say? Yeah, this has just been a weird experience, this book. It's been different than anything else. It's it's It's... I've never had anything that people liked so much or disliked so much. And that's, I feel like I want to say that I want to think that that's a good thing, but like if you're inspiring that kind of frustration or excitement, it's a good thing. Um, but it's intense. And there are these moments where somebody will come up to me and sort of say, I read Orphan Island. And I say, oh. And then we just sort of stare at each other. And I know what they're not saying, you know, because we're at a conference or they're mm. another author or they're a mm -hmm. teacher. And, um, and that's been this sort of funny moment of like, I and I want to like hug them and say, it's okay. <laughs> um, no, like lots of, lots of books I, other people adore, I have real issues with. And that's the way it should be. Like that's the way it's right. supposed to be. And if you're, pleasing everybody mildly you're not saying very much so I feel like I'm okay with it um it does bother me sometimes when adults assume that children won't be able to handle the ambiguity of the book because I feel like they're I feel like they're selling kids short yeah sometimes I think kids are better at I think so <laughs> no I think that's exactly right in general my experience has been that that's not true either that or all the children are lying to be but mostly children don't do that so I don't know yeah, um, but I think that kids are accustomed to living in a world where they are not given all the answers all the time. Mm -hmm. And while it is frustrating to them, they understand that as a part of the experience of living. And I think that we as adults, it like create an illusion for ourselves that we have control and we have full understanding of the world around us. When obviously we don't like 99.999% of the time know everything. Um, so, so that's been interesting. Well, I really enjoyed the book. I hope that our Thank listeners you. will check it out as well. And we are talking to Laurel Snyder, author of Orphan, Orphan Island. I can't talk. Orf, Orphan Island. Orphan. Orphan. <laughs> it's been a long day, guys. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, being here in your house. Thanks for, thanks for being here in my house with me. <laughs> All right. now it's afterwards man it's been so long <laughs> man that was that great. was a great I bet it was so good <laughs> um Susan did you love how she talked about being Jewish in that interview I did yeah the tribe always loves it when other tribe members say 
Jewish thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a copy of Orphan Island to give away to a lucky viewer. Uh, it is signed. Listener. Viewer, listener, reader, what the <laughs> fuck ever you are. Listener. Thank God no one views this because like, yeah. Right? Ooh, look at me. <laughs> we don't bring a lot to the visual I table. I haven't taken a shower. <laughs> um, Susan, you're I don't have pants on. Though. Yeah, Susan looks like a fucking model right now. So. It's true. Um, anyway, one <laughs> no makeup and yesterday's hair. Thank you. One lucky <laughs> listener will win a signed copy of Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder. All you need to do to enter is leave us a comment or not a comment. Leave us a five star <laughs> review on iTunes. <laughs> a five star review. An- another star review. review. It doesn't have to be a five. star If it's review. not five stars, you're not actually entering the contest. Yeah, that's <laughs> not true. We're gonna send you a lump of coal. Um, leave us a review on iTunes and then just email us to let us know that you want to enter the contest and like what your iTunes name is or whatever. So we can check and make sure it's there. Um, and if you have already left us a review on iTunes, thank you so much. And you can just email us and let us know that you would like to enter the contest. Okay. Yes. And our email address is, uh, book squad goals. Yeah. At book squad dot ink. I-N-K. Like, like a squid. A squid. Like a squid. <laughs> you did it right this time, Kelly. I'm sorry. I know. And I, I second-guessed myself halfway through, and I was like, no, keep going. I think it's right. <laughs> they didn't say anything. <laughs> Push through. Um, okay, so before we leave, let's talk about what's on the blog and what's up next on the podcast. What's yeah. on the blog? So most recently on the blog, Mary and I, speaking of children's lit and YA lit, Mary yes. and I have written our very last installment of the <clears throat> Summer YA Book Club. YA in Paradise. <laughs> YA <Yes>. in Paradise. <laughs> um, in which oh. Mary shows her Slytherin side and does not cry at the end of the book. Look, <laughs> I said... I was feeling it. I just did not cry. I was very emotional at the end. <laughs> I was sitting there with Ben and I was just like, stop looking at me, Ben. I'm crying. And he was like, I'm not even looking at yeah, you. Yeah, he's like, I don't care. You cry all the time. I didn't even notice yeah. you were crying. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it depends on the day, the weather. Yeah. If I'm going to cry <laughs> or not. Weather. So many variables. Um. So that's on the blog. And uh, starting in November, we will be doing YA Winter Games. Yes. And our first book for that is going to be Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Mm -hmm. Um, Are these winter-themed books? Look, Kelly, we're not here for this criticism. (laughs) I'm just trying to understand the theme. Um, Winter Games sounded cool. Yeah. Because The Bachelor's doing it? Oh, they are, aren't they? Yeah. That has nothing oh, to do with don't this. don't act like you just learned that. <laughs> yeah, so it's YA Wonder Games. All right, the summer one from now on will be called In Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> YA Winter Games is happening. The first book will be The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. And we haven't completely decided on the other books yet, but they will be awesome. Yes. And then also on the blog, I wrote a review of the movie Ingrid Goes West, um, which, which I, I really want to see. It was so great. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I obviously. I love Aubrey Plaza. I love her so much. 
Um, I love her so much. And, like, going to see it, I thought I knew what to expect, and I thought it was going to be, like, funny and quirky and, like, fine, and then I it would be over and I'd, like, forget about it. But <laughs> I actually, like, really liked it a lot. Like, I am not going to just, like not remember this movie it's like I feel like I want to watch it again it's like it's really great so I really recommend everyone go see it it just came out everywhere like last week so not here oh well (laughs) probably not here either it got a wide release it's playing in New Orleans I think there's I don't know this is my dilemma every weekend I'm like there's so many movies playing in New Orleans that I want to see yeah but money. Yeah. It sucks to have to go far away to see yeah. something. But anyway, if it is in your area, definitely recommend seeing it and check or out the get a different area if you uh, are interested. It's on the blog. And then we uh, obviously have all of our social media stuff where you should follow us for updates on the podcast and the blog and whatever else we might be doing. And um, to talk to us. Yeah, talk to us. We ask questions um, about things. We also have a Goodreads group. We're book squad goals on everything. So just, like, search for us. Also, tell us what what house you're in. Yeah, tell us what house you're in. Maybe we should take a, like, survey to see who our listeners are. Yeah. The next book we're going to be reading is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, uh, which is my pick. And we will be doing an episode with our discussion of that book, uh, which will be coming out in two weeks. So you still have time. Two weeks is not that long to read a book, but I believe in you and I think you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you have major doubts, audiobook it. Yeah, you could do that too. Um, But yeah, we're excited to talk about that too. And... Yeah, so thank you for listening and stuff. And thank you to Laurel Snyder. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, Laurel Snyder. She was so interesting and engaging and wonderful. So Emily did a great job with that interview. Um, yes. Yeah, so any comments, questions, feedback, please email us. Hit us up on social media. Be our friends. Send us pics of your pets reading. Hashtag pets reading books. Bye. 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 <laughs>